You're listening to the Elvis Ultimate Fan Channel Podcast, the channel that is devoted 100% to the life and career of the biggest selling recording artist of all time, with your host, Steve Francis. Hello and welcome to Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel. My special guest today is Diana Goodman. Diana is a successful model and actress. From 1969 to 1972, she was a cheerleader for the Atlanta Falcons, and in 1975, she became Miss Georgia. Shortly after winning the title, she met Elvis Presley. He swept Diana off her feet, and they began a relationship. Diana joins me now to share the full story. Hi, Diana, and you are very welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. So glad to be here. Yeah, well, we were supposed to talk before Christmas, weren't we? But uh, the uh, holiday period kind of caught us by surprise and we kind of ran out of time. That's very true. Trying to get on the on your schedule and mine with the time difference. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I always forget, you know, I always think, oh, well, evening would be a good time. But of course, it's not always evening for my guests. It's afternoon with you at the moment, isn't it? Right. <laughs> I had it backwards. I thought it was going to be like late for me and early for you or I don't know. I'm not great on my time zones. <laughs> I should <laughs> Okay. Well, anyway, we, we finally managed it. And, and actually, uh, I must mention uh, Lisa Lauren because she actually put us in touch with each other, didn't she? So she's, uh, you know, I have to thank Lisa for, for getting this together for me. Yes, thank you, Lisa. I appreciate that connection there. Yeah, we're very grateful. Thanks, Lisa. We're, 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 we have mutual friends on Facebook in Lisa. So um, can you tell me um, where, where you were born, um, Diana? I was born in a little town in South Georgia called Alma, A-L-M-A. Okay. And, um, I, I've never heard of that t town. That's a town, is it? A little town, and it's near Waycross, Georgia. Actually, a little bigger, but I think it's managed to stay pretty small, you know, surrounded by little bigger towns. Uh -huh. um, I think Waycross was the biggest one I could think of right off the bat, but um, it's, uh, you know, down like going around Jekyll Island and Brunswick and um, that kind of thing, but I think they, they actually got a Dairy Queen the last time I was down there, so they're coming up. Yeah. D did you, did you, were you brought up in Alma or did you move somewhere else afterwards and grow up somewhere else? Yes, I was born in Alma. That um, my dad was in the Marines, and so my mom had gone to live with her mother while my dad was gone, so she wouldn't be alone. Mm -hmm. And she was expecting me, and I was actually born in my grandmother's house. I came a little quicker than they expected, and um, so then after my dad got out of the service, he moved us to Atlanta. And uh, for a little while, and then uh, a little back a little further south to a place called Griffin. And that's where I started school. And um, Griffin is about 30 miles south of Atlanta, I guess. We had a little farm, and that's my earliest memories of, um, you know, when I started school. And then after a few years, my mom wasn't thrilled living way off in the country and my dad being gone to work all day. So um, he moved us to a little 
suburb of Atlanta called Forest Park, mm -hmm. and it's about 10 miles from Atlanta. And it was a perfect location because you're not far from downtown if you need it. And we lived in a, you know, it was a nice, safe, <clears throat> wholesome little community, kind of like Leave It to Beaver. Oh, yeah. Heard about yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah. Or Ozzy and Harriet. It was kind of, you know, growing up uh, during the 50s and the 60s there. And so that's where I grew up and um, went to high school and college in Atlanta. And then I was um, bound to hit the road and seek my fame and fortune. Just tell me uh, about the uh, Atlanta Falcons. When I graduated from high school, there was a girl who had gone to high school where I did. She was a couple of years older than me. And she called me and said she was a cheerleader for the Atlanta Falcons. And she said the Falcons are having tryouts for the next season. Would you be interested? It was invitation-only tryouts. And um, I'm like, yes. And so I went up for, a, I think it was a two-day tryout, and um, I got picked to be an Atlanta Falcon cheerleader. And then I went, I started in that same fall, I started to Georgia State University, and I tried out for cheerleader there. Mm -hmm. And so I cheered for the Falcons and Georgia State at the same time. But the Falcons were football, and Georgia State was basketball. So it really didn't interfere too much with each other. But we did fun stuff like throw footballs and T-shirts into the stands. And um, we just got to be called the Atlanta Falcon cheerleaders, and that was pretty special. My dad was so excited because they gave each of the girls uh, two season tickets to all the games. And so my dad and my brother and different people would fight over who was going to the game. So and then in 1975, you became Miss Georgia, correct? Correct. I had, um, had a thought when I was in high school that entering pageants might be an avenue to uh, a career on stage because I'm from a little town in Georgia and mm -hmm. had no clue how I would get to where I wanted to be. And uh, not that I was a great, um, serious actress. I found that I was better with comedy and silliness, you know, the ditzy blonde kind of stuff. <laughs> But I thought, well, if I enter pageants, maybe there'll be somebody in the audience and they'll say, hey, I could use that girl in my movie. Yeah. So my thought was, okay, where can I put myself to where I might meet somebody who might help me know how to do this? I entered the Miss Georgia two times, and I won the second time. The first time I got first runner-up. And so the second year when I entered again, I was like, I'm either going to win or lose because there's no, you know, I can go one piece up or I can go down. But I decided I was almost too old because the age cutoff was 25. And I thought, well, if I wait a year, I can't enter next year because I'll be too old. And, and uh, obviously, as I said, you, you won Miss Georgia and that led to some modeling jobs. And one of those was in Memphis. Right. For the copper tone. Copper tone, suntan. suntan. Yeah, I remember seeing the billboards when I was in California in 1979. It said, flash him a copper tone tan. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. 
and mm-hmm. you, you, can, you can pick up the story when, when you were driving from the airport in the cab. Well, actually, um, I had a job with a, a motor oil company as well. There was a fairly new company called Black Gold. Uh-huh. I don't even know if they ever even got off the ground. I didn't follow them after that. but And I called the cab to take me. I'd never been to Memphis before. And so the cab came, and, and then he said, Do you know Elvis lives here? And I said, I'm, I can't remember. I didn't, like, put it together. Mm-hmm. And so he said, We're going to pass this house. So we got up to the house, and he pulled over, and he said, Here it is. Would you like to step out? And uh, take a look. I said, sure, I guess. But, you know, you're outside the fence. And what are you going to see? So as I turned around and walked back over to the gate, I heard a man, uh, a voice that said, hey. And he said, are you from here? And I said, no, I'm from uh, Atlanta, Georgia. And he said, oh, so what brings you to Memphis? I told him I was... um, Miss Georgia, and I was there on a modeling assignment. And of course, you know, I try to get that in anytime I could. I was so excited about it. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he said, Wow. And then he said, uh, Would you like to come in? And um, he said, I said, What's your name? He said, I'm Vester Presley. Oh, yes. Elvis's uncle. And I said, Oh, wow. Elvis's relative is inviting me into the house. And then I thought, that's a little strange that, you know, I'm a stranger, <laughs> literally, and he's inviting me in. Of course, he didn't invite me any further than the guard shack. Hmm. And so he said, I'm going to open the gates just slightly, and I want you to squeeze through so people don't push their way in. Because there were other people standing there, not a huge crowd, but enough that they could have overpowered, you know. <clears throat> so... I, uh, sure enough, he opened the gate slightly, I squeezed in, he closed it back, and there I stood. <laughs> and and I thought, well, gosh, where do we go from here? And um, he kind of chatted a little further, and then I saw a golf cart coming down, coming my way, and it pulled up right beside me, and these two guys said, hey, you want to go up to the house and take a tour? And I said, well, is Elvis there? And they said, no, he's at home. Mm. So I said, sure. So I hopped in, and I didn't feel in danger or anything like that because, you know, here it is, Elvis's house. and and Because um, typically you wouldn't just go in, in somebody's gate and then go up to their house not knowing a single soul. No, definitely but, not. <laughs> yeah, but this just felt right. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so we... We went up to the house, and um, they pulled around to the back door where the cars were parked in the garage, and uh, we went through the back, entered the room that would be called the jungle room. And then from there, we walked around, and they talked to me about being Miss Georgia and what I was doing there, and, you know, just really pleasant. Mm -hmm. And we went out in the kitchen, the music room, just all around and, you know, looked at the property some. And then they said, um, would you like to hang out a little while? You can sit in here in the jungle room and, you know, people were milling around. I didn't know who everybody was, but, you know, it was kind of like Grand Central there. Yeah. 
somebody's always coming in and out either to pay a visit. And this man, I don't know what his name was, but I remember a man came to the door and said, you know, he was dropping by to see Elvis, and uh, he was in town or something, and they said, well, without, I had, well, before that, I had, when we passed the stairway, it had this kind of like a velvet um, rope across it, mm-hmm. like you would see in the movie theater that yeah. would block away. And I, I said, well, what's up there? Are we going up there? And they said, no, that's Elvis's private quarters. Mm. And he's up there taking a nap. And I went, oh, my gosh. I wonder why they lied to me in the first place. Maybe they needed to um, see if I was going to be a crazy person. Yeah. But um, I'm like, I got really excited then. And, I, and um, he couldn't come down and say hello. And then I, I met the ladies in the kitchen that were cooking. They were so nice. And then Lisa Marie was there. She was riding around her tricycle. And, um, you know, just happy and free. You know, the freest little bird in the whole house. Yeah, I think she, I, I think she had the run of Graceland, I think. Oh, she did. Because I <laughs> said, oh, my gosh, she's going to run into the furniture. This <laughs> nice furniture with that little tricycle. Nobody cared. No, no. And, and uh, well, they probably daren't tell her off because uh, <laughs> they would have got fired. <laughs> uh, so do, do you think that Elvis, um, I don't know whether you mentioned this or not, Elvis probably saw you on the closed circuit uh, television camera at the gate? Well, and he said, Elvis wants to know if you want to go to the movies with us later tonight. Yeah, I'd love that. And he said, I'll pick you up about 11. And I thought, that will be so fun. <laughs> and so, um, sure enough, he came back and got me at about 11, and we went to the Memphian, and we stayed there all night, watched three movies, The Pink Panther, and then I forgot what the third one was, because I was so wrapped up in Elvis, watching his air move, or talking, and um, so then when the next morning, when uh, we all went outside, he, Dave is going to take you back to your hotel. On the way back to my hotel, Dave said, do you want to stop for coffee? Didn't really, because I was kind of disappointed that I didn't go back with Elvis to the house for whatever was next. You know, what, yeah. what, what was the friend's next? But I said, okay. I didn't. I wasn't a coffee drinker either. But I said, sure. And um, while we were sitting at the table, he put out a pen and a piece of paper, and he said, Elvis asked me to get your phone number and your address. He'd like to call you and uh, take you on a date. Wow. And I said, well, why didn't he ask me back there? <clears throat> so I wrote it down and handed it to him. And then he put it in his pocket. And um, we left. He took me to my room and uh, opened the door for me. Very polite. And I sat literally almost two weeks by the phone. Just waiting for Elvis to call, and he didn't call. So I decided to go to California and seek my fame and fortune. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> So I got on a plane, and I went out there, and I had a friend who lived in California, in L.A., and she was going to show me around, and I was going to, in my mind, I was going to get a job in a movie and find an apartment, and then I was going to move out there. 
I mean, I thought it was just going to be one, two, three. Uh, little did I know that it was a huge place. Movies aren't all done in the same spot. It's not like an office where you go and have ten floors yeah. of different jobs. And it wasn't even like the interview process was. It, it was just all so different than what I imagined. After about three days or something out there, I was laying out by the pool. I was staying in the home of a friend, a friend of a friend, I guess you'd say, someone that I, that I knew was house-sitting for someone else, and they said it was okay for me to stay there. Mm-hmm. So um, while I'm laying at the pool, the phone rings, and the housekeeper answered it and came out and told me I had a phone call. And, um, it, well, actually, before that, I called my mom to check in at home and see how things were going and to let her know where I was and all that kind of stuff. And while we were talking, she said, you keep getting these prank phone calls. <laughs> Some guy keeps calling you saying he's Elvis. And I, I said, I told you Elvis was going to call me. <laughs> And she said, are you sure? I'm like, yes. I said, just give him this phone number where I'm staying, please. (laughs) Well, he had already called three times, and my mom hung up on him, and my little sister answered the phone, and she hung up on him. Oh, no. So here we are. I said, he'll probably never call me again, but if he does, please give him that phone number. And she said, well, okay, if you're sure, but I thought you were just kidding. And I said, no, I'm, I'm really really serious and I just about cried I thought oh my gosh he'll never call and um I mean because what what are the chances I would run into him again I yeah mean, very very slim <laughs> oh it was such a unique I mean there's millions of people in this country there are hundreds of places I could have been sent to do an ad like Florida mm. had a lot of things in Florida and Georgia but Memphis I mean it was just meant to be. And, you know, it's just not coincidental. It was meant to be. And I thought, oh, well, we hung up the phone. And I went back to my, uh, I was got on a floaty in the water, just kind of chillaxing, you know, like yeah. on vacation. And um, then the housekeeper keeper comes out and points to the phone. She didn't speak English, but she picked up the extension and held it out to me. And this velvety smooth voice said, actually, the first voice I heard was Joe. This man said, hey, this is Joe Esposito. Mm -hmm. Is this Diana Goodman? I said, yes, it is. And he said, Elvis wants to speak to you. And I guess after having been hung up on, they were going to make sure that (laughs) um, somebody else asked for me. And so then this voice comes to the phone, this this wonderfully familiar voice says, hey, baby, this is Elvis. And then I just melted <laughs> in a puddle on the spot. <laughs> I was speechless. And um, he said, I've been trying to call you. And people keep hanging up. And he said, why did you go to California? I told you I was going to call you. And I said, but it's been two weeks. 
And I said, yes, I would love to see you. And he said, okay, I'm going to try to put something together, and I'll take care of everything, and um, would you like to fly meet me in New York? I'm going to be doing um, for my he, something. He said, would you like to go to the concert in New York? So I didn't know that it was his concert. I thought we were just going on a date somewhere mm -hmm. to somebody's, you know. Yeah. And so he he said, I'll call you back when I have the arrangements. And so I, I said, okay, and we hung up. And then he called back in about five more minutes, and he said, I think I have a the flight plan, and he gave me um, an air, you know, what time, about an hour and a half, and um, he would have somebody pick me up, blah, blah, blah. I said, okay. So I thought, well, I've got a few more minutes to sit out here, and then I better start getting ready. Well, then the phone rang again, and he said, can you be ready in 30 minutes? <laughs> and I went, What? If I don't get you on the next flight out, you're not going to get here in time for the show. And I said, yes, I'll be ready. I had no idea how. I mean, I jumped, I hung up the phone, and um, ran into the house and started just throwing my stuff in a suitcase. Oh, and before we hung up, he said, my chauffeur will pick you up, and I have a Learjet. He said there was no airlines that could work it out, so I'm just going to have my Learjet bring you out. And he said, don't pack anything because it's so quick. I'll get everything you need when you get here. Well, there was no way I was going to go to meet Elvis and not have a stitch of anything with me and spend <laughs> all my time shopping. Yeah. No. And I couldn't imagine, you know, arriving with nothing. So I just didn't fold a thing. I just threw it in there. I jumped in the shower really quick. And um, I don't even know. When I think about it now, as long as it takes me to get ready, when the doorbell rang, my hair was in curlers. I'd washed it. It was kind of, you know, we didn't have blow dryers. We had those big hooded things you sit under. Oh, yes. And um, <clears throat> I was trying to get the water off, and I put curlers in it. And I went to the door just like that. <laughs> And the chauffeur thought, I'm sure he thought, boy, Elvis is really kind of losing it on this one. <laughs> but he was very kind, an uh, English man in a tall gray suit, hat, the perfect chauffeur attire. And then there was a black uh, limo sitting out in the, at the driveway. And he helped me get everything in the car. And then I jumped in the car and... Away we went to an adventure of a lifetime. Me and curlers and all my earthly belongings almost in the trunk of this car. Now, there's some very famous photographs, actually, of you and Elvis in the back of a limo. Uh, that must have been in that must have been in New York, obviously. I think the one with, um, I'm wearing a white, like a halter, satin uh, white top. Yes. I think we were in Nassau, New York. I wish I'd written more stuff down. I wrote little things through the years that I would remember about our time, but like every place, every show, every time, I kind of lost track where we were, you know, or 
would be on a plane or in a hotel or in a show, and it just kind of all run together. But I think, <clears throat> thankfully, there's a lot of different photographers like Ron Galela and Bob Klein, different ones that took photos back then. They've helped, it documents it for me hmm. you know, because they know exactly where they were, where this picture was taken, and then it helps put all the timeline in place for me. But so that was the first show that the actual when when we got there I realized or after he told me it's actually well, let me back up. When we were on the plane, before we got there, the pilot came back and told me that we were not gonna make it in time for the show. And because it's a five hour trip and a four hour time change. Oh. And he said, we're not going to make it. Elvis told us to bring you to the airport and put you on his other airplane, and he would meet you there. And at that point, then I realized that it was actually Elvis's show that I was going to, and I had missed. Mm. And I was so sad. I mean, I had been on this flight alone. You know, a Learjet is very small. What does it hold, five people? But I was the only passenger. It was a pilot and a co-pilot. So I had been alone and um, excited and worried and just trying to get myself together. Then he tells me I'm not going to make it. And so I thought when I got there, they were going to put me on an airplane and send me home. Oh, no. That's, yeah. that's I didn't know what was next. Mm. And so um, I was so disappointed. Well, when we got there and waited and... Um, he finally, you know, his entourage and limo and escort police cars, just a big hullabaloo. You know, I was getting late by this time, and I had, I didn't know what was, if he's going to, um, if it's going to be like the movies where I'm always going to meet him somewhere but yet not be with him. Yes. I kept thinking, is that how it's going to be? And so I sat in the airplane and waited, and then, I saw all this rush of people, and he came up the steps, and I just saw this blur come into the door of the airplane and go straight into another area that was curtained off, like another room that had the privacy curtains. Yes. And then the pilot said, um, everybody, you know, buckle up. We're about to take off. And I thought, well, is he going to ride up there? And I'm going <laughs> to ride back here. <laughs> it was just this whole uncertainty and um, then the pilot announced that we were going to start our descent to wherever we were going next. I wasn't paying attention. I was just wondering why Elvis was in that that private area and I was still back there by myself. Hmm. So then the curtain opened and uh, Elvis walked out and he had changed clothes. I could tell from what I noticed that he came in. He had changed into something a little more casual. And he looked around the airplane, kind of assessing. And, you know, it was redesigned. There were tables and chairs. It wasn't like the inside of a regular airplane. It was um, like the inside of a house. Yeah, yeah, tables and chairs and almost, <laughs> almost like a boardroom or something like that. Yeah, sofas. It was, <clears throat> and um, 
and he started walking in my direction. And I thought, he's coming, he's coming, is he going to go sit somewhere else? Or <laughs> he kind of stepped over me. I was sitting on the outer end of the bench. Where I was at a table with where two benches were. Mm-hmm. And he kind of stepped over me and sat down beside the wall or the window. And, um, and there he was, right beside me. And I was just, my heart was racing. I thought, what's he going to say? What am I going to say? And um, we looked at each other, and he said, I am so sorry that I couldn't get you here in time. I thought, how sweet, because it wasn't even his fault, but he tried so hard. Yeah. And I was sorry, too, because that shortened our time together, you know? Yeah. And he... He said, I'm so sorry you had to fly all that time and then get on another airplane. And he said, I really wanted you to come to the show with me. And, um, you know, he said, but there's there'll be others. And I didn't know. But at that point, I didn't know what was next, where we were going, where I was staying. All I knew was I was going to meet Elvis. And in my mind, we were going to a show and dinner, and from there, I didn't know what was happening. Like, was I going home? I didn't ask. And at that point, I started to think about, um, wow, what is next? He said, then we'll get some dinner. Have you eaten? I said, no, I hadn't had maybe peanuts and a coat <laughs> all that time because it was a small um, airplane, and I guess they weren't prepared to be taking somebody somewhere. But um, so... We talked, and you know, he held my hand and um, asked me about my turquoise jewelry and and um, just how was my flight. Asked me about my family, and you know, we just then the plane landed, and there was uh, limos outside of the airplane waiting. And this was late, like dark. There were people out. There's a fence. Um, between the tarmac, like the airplane, and because uh, we always landed and got out on the tarmac mm-hmm. <clears throat> where the cars pull right up to the airplane. Yeah. But there were throngs of people out there waiting for Elvis to land. They And I was just uh, wide-eyed with wonder, <laughs> you know, because here I'm going to get off this airplane and they're going to see me with him and I'm going to get to be that girl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. over there behind the fence, and I'm inside the fence. So I was pretty excited. Yeah, they always seem to find out when Elvis was arriving, I think, didn't they? No matter where we went. Yeah, yeah. People... Oh, say, okay, so you went You went to uh, a, a few concerts, obviously, um, and, and then after a few weeks, what happened? Did Did you have to go back home, or...? One night, he called me. Um, we'd been in the living room, and he and Joe left the room. And then Elvis called me into the room. Like, they left and went to another room. Because there was always several rooms in the suite that he stayed in, you know. Uh, two, three, two bedrooms at least, and there was a living room and office. Stuff, you know, almost like when you travel for business, but they called me in the room and he said, I'm going to get you a flight out for tomorrow morning because the colonel's coming in 
and my dad, and I'm going to have to spend some time with them. Mm. And I said, okay. And I ran out. I ran to my room and threw myself on the bed, and I started crying. But I was I was crying on the bed, and I thought, how ridiculous. But I loved being with him so much. It just broke my heart that I was leaving. Mm. And I thought I did something wrong. And he came in there and sat on the bed beside me and um, just kind of stroked my hair. And he said, I don't want you to cry. He said, why don't I let you stay one more day? I'll postpone my meetings. And then... I'll have to send you home, and then I'm going to bring you out to Bel Air and Palm Springs. I want to show you where, you know, my other houses, and I want us to be together when I'm not working so we can just hang out and do whatever. Mm-hmm. And I said, okay. You know, it kind of made me feel better, and I set up, went back out to the living room, and um, so we had a show that night. And um, went to that, and then, you know, a couple more days later, uh, he arranged a flight for me to go home, and he had given me this huge box of little stuffed animals and all the stuff that girls throw at him on stage. <laughs> he can't keep all that. I mean, no. it it's a never-ending. So he collected, he had a big box and collected... Um, different things like um, a few things he he would throw to me from the stage like a a particular stuffed animal or something like that you know Mm -hmm. something that maybe he thought was particularly cute or he liked he would toss it to me because he had the place where they had me sitting was just a few feet from him yeah and so he could talk to me from the stage, see me, I could see him, and um, he would just throw little things. I left with the uh, knowledge that we were going to see each other again before long. And just, uh, and it was sh- was it shortly after you got back that you heard that he'd been admitted to hospital? It was a few months. Oh, right. Uh, after I got home, I talked to him. And then he had Charlie Hodge communicate with me if, you know, if he couldn't talk or if I sent him things or I didn't get to talk to him very much after that, maybe only once or twice. And then, you know, later I found out there were other people in the picture that I didn't know about, so... He was juggling a lot of things, people, I guess. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, you, you sent him flowers and books to read while he was in hospital. Is that correct? Yeah. I'm he sure. had, uh, you know, he liked those numerology-type books and things like that. Mm. Mm. And cards. And uh, Charlie always promised me that he would make sure Elvis got everything that I sent. And I believe he did, but, you know, that one particular magazine that, the bodyguards took to him that had that picture of Burt Reynolds and me in it. Yes. We had a fight about that because he thought I was, you know, and here he and I had been pretty highly publicized. I, For some reason, when I was with him, it just was very hot topic. You know what I'm saying? It became, there was a lot of paparazzi. Yes, yes. It yeah, well, felt like 
there 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 always was wherever Elvis was there was cameras that's for sure right so I know that there were girls in between maybe here and there but they weren't necessarily publicized because maybe they weren't out and about they were you know at home or somewhere but it just seemed um, oh I thought you were gonna wait for me (laughs) and I said I am I am I was just trying to work yeah what am I gonna do six months between dates am I supposed to have a life or just not because I'm you know I'm 24 I'm not like 14 like Priscilla or 20 or however Linda you know they were so young they had not started life beyond high school if that makes sense yes yes it it must have been very difficult for Elvis because you know he wasn't really living the day-to-day life of everybody else you know he he probably didn't realize that you know you couldn't just hang around for six months you had to work to, to you know to pay bills right he talked to me about wanting a relationship this sounds weird but he really did have relationships and then he might have an affair here and there but he had lengthy relationships with people you know one person would be known to be with him for a lengthy amount of time and then there might be a short something in between but he was looking for that lengthy relationship again with another somebody new he talked to me about my career if I was willing to put it on hold and those are important questions because it was the kind of career he had, the kind of person he was. He couldn't be with someone who had a career or you're never together. You know, he wanted somebody that could be with him all the time, not just in between jobs, but not for every six months. But in between there, I needed to have life. So that first year, and then when he went in the hospital, and they started canceling concert dates, mm. and then I could see, <clears throat> um, you know, I couldn't. We didn't have internet and all that kind of stuff. You couldn't really follow. So I would call the house as often as I wanted to, and Charlie would always talk to me. Such a nice guy, and he literally never gave me any reason to believe that we were not going to see each other again. He always told me that. And I needed to talk to him about the picture. And um, later, and I think it was later in the spring, the next spring, I, I he came to Atlanta, and I went up to the hotel to talk to him because <clears throat> he had not been willing to talk to me about it. I think he was being um, deterred from talking to me about it by the guys who actually took him the magazine and showed him the picture. Hmm. I felt like it was an undermining of sorts. But I just decided to go up there myself, and uh, the couple bodyguards that were they were in the room where they were going to warm up, <clears throat> and they would let me, and they just laughed and said, he saw all he needs to know. He's not interested in talking to you anymore. And so, you know, that resolve, I never got really a chance to say I'm not dating Burt Reynolds. We've worked together. And I think, too, he saw, okay, she's going to go after her career. And I'm not going to be able to have a relationship with somebody who is all over the place. Mm-hmm. So then 
you know, the next big thing I hear is Ginger Alden. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> is in the picture. And I felt then, I thought, you know what? Um, I think it's probably over because they seemed serious and then there was talk of engagement and he, um, you know, his health was up and down. And But I, I still let kind of put my romantic life on hold. My heart was on hold. I was kind of reserved for him. Even if I saw someone, went to dinner, or worked, because I kept pursuing, you know, work. And um, then one morning, you know, I had gone to California to see if I could check things out again. And my sister called me, and she said, have you seen the news? And I said, no. And she said, Elvis is gone. I turned on the news, and I just started bawling. Yeah. And I couldn't. And here I am in L.A. It's not that easy to get from L.A. to Memphis for something like that with, and then be somebody that would they let me in? Would they recognize me as somebody important in his life? Important enough to be able to get in? And, and then getting flights out so I didn't get to come back for the funeral. You, po I mean, I you, you, you probably just watched it on television just like everybody else. I, to a point. I didn't watch a lot because I was so grieved. Mm -hmm. One of the things where you're, I didn't have closure, and and it was finished, but not in the way that I had hoped. But it was just so sad and so um, heart-wrenching for me. I couldn't... You know, I couldn't even watch Elvis movies. Mm. I did not watch anything like his music or his movies. And, and how about how about now? Is it is it is it still like that? Or I mean, there's always that little longing for what could have been, what you thought was going to be. Yeah. <clears throat> but you know, I went on to have a pretty good um, career in television. Yeah, you went to, after Elvis. You went on to Hee Haw. <laughs> yes. Yeah, after he passed away, I thought, I've got to really get serious with my life and work if I'm going to do this. And Because um, we met in 75, he died in 77, so I, I spent two years kind of in limbo. You know, a little bit of limbo, hmm. not doing anything um, serious so I could break away from it when he called. Anyway, it was, you know... That was the finale, and um, I kind of got myself together and started working harder and getting uh, work on stage, and then I got the Hee Haw Show. And then after that, I met the man I would marry and had three sons. Of course, um, you don't think about the past anymore in that way. You just, I still didn't want to watch movies. I didn't want to hear music. I just it still was all very painful. Hmm. Sounds weird after all those years, but it was. Once you are married to someone else, you want to suppress all those things you had for someone else. You know, you want to concentrate on your life now, what you have in front of you. Yes. <clears throat> so I um, took a break from the show business and to raise our sons. And we moved to a remote town in North Georgia, bought a little farm. 
an obscure mom, you know, and hardly nobody knew anything about my past except for my family and people I had known from all those years. But the company that I was in with my kids, my husband and all, nobody knew anything about it. It was just, you know, I was a mom and um and that was it. Yeah. And <laughs> you, you, you you moved on. Simple really. Huh? You, you you moved on. Uh as painful as it was, you realized that you had to move on. Yeah, and it actually took me um I think it was nineteen um, my husband worked for a company, and they wanted to move him to Memphis. And this was about 1997. And I told him, no. I said, I can't move to Memphis. I can't live there. <laughs> There's nothing but Elvis. I can't go there. Yeah. <laughs> and, of course, he didn't get that. He was like, oh. So he took the, the job transfer anyway. And I was like, everywhere you turn, there was an Elvis billboard, an Elvis boulevard, an Elvis this. And I couldn't, I just, I felt like it was all over me all the time. And here I was trying to um, get rid of feelings in my mind and suppress feelings that I had for him and all that. That turned out to be the best thing, though, because being face-to-face with the surroundings made me come face-to-face with those unresolved feelings and put them in their place Mm. it's like that uh little place in my heart for him still there but it was in its place it wasn't the overwhelming or the no no that i couldn't think about and then after that i mean it was very freeing it was like one afternoon i came face to face in a spiritual way with um, that that part of my heart and my mind, and I was able to shift it to the place where it belonged, and that was, you know, things that are past, they still are a part of you because it's what makes up you, mm. and you can still um, have pleasant memories and joys of having been in a place or having known a person, but it, it changed everything. And then years after that, at the encouragement of some of my friends who knew and my husband, they said I should write a book. And because there's so many different details and facets, and everybody wants to know about Elvis because, you know, in the scheme of things, all over the world, there's a small fraction of people who ever got to meet him and even have an intimate relationship, you know, a friendship where you actually were in his company for a length of time and be called his friend. <clears throat> and so I was able to uh, pull from my memory and, you know, go back into those memories and live them and bring them forward and, uh, you know, in color and not just being black and white mm. and be able to write it all down. And my husband, um, he would proofread my papers. I would sit in bed with my laptop and write and then read it to him and would tell me if he thought it was funny or, you know, even things I'd not talked to him about. In fact, I'd never talked to him about Elvis or anything other than we dated. And most people didn't know. I tried to 
keep a lot of things personal and private and respect for him and, you know, for myself. And so a lot of things in the book, that was the first time it, anybody had ever read about it because they just were in my mind. And um, But I felt the time was right. It's almost like it's part of your legacy and you could leave it for your your children, grandchildren, and those who come after you. And um, as, as we've seen, the interest in Elvis has not waned. No. I mean, it increased. Yeah, I mean, he's he's as big today as he was, you know, when he was alive. And I mean, it's you know, he he's he's been dead longer than he was alive. I I was amazed to to realize that a few few weeks ago. You know, he he's, and you know, the hunger is always there. I mean, they're they're making a movie about his life at the moment, aren't they? Uh, Tom Hanks is filming it in Australia. I heard, yeah. So you know, the the hunger is there. Uh, you you wrote the book, I believe, in twenty eighteen. Yeah, actually, I guess it was. Uh, it's been two years now. Well, almost three. Wow. Yeah. Time's flying. And I was, I was, I was, I was checking it out, and and it's available on Amazon. It's called uh, Hollywood Lights Nashville Nights. Is that correct? Right. So if it, it. so if any if anybody's interested, they can order that on Amazon. Right. Or, if you want a personalized copy. You can. I have a Facebook page called Diana Goodman Hollywood Lights Nashville Nights. Right. And you can message me through that page, and I will sign one for you and mail it to you. And I use PayPal through that, so <clears throat> that way, if somebody wants a signed copy, they don't have to order it and then send it to me, and then me send it back. It kind of skips one of those steps. Yeah, yeah, and that that can be quite time consuming, going backwards and forwards as well. Yeah, it's especially if you're overseas or something like that. I can, uh, <clears throat> I've mailed I don't countless books overseas, and it's it's really fun um, to be able to know. And around Elvis's birthday, I started getting more book orders yesterday. But for you know the last year, all of the appearances and everything have been canceled. So the opportunity to make your book available in person has been very limited but I'm hoping in the new year that when it picks up and and of course do I have them here in my home and I take care of it myself because I have lots of time on my hands now right yes yes a, a lot of people have got a lot of time on their hands you know they've either lost their jobs unfortunately or their their jobs aren't as busy as they normally are so it's it, it has been strange times been strange times for everybody um I, I I found this last hour hour and 15 minutes absolutely fascinating uh Diana really fascinating uh and thank you very very much you know for um joining us it's been great. It really has. Well, thank you. Thank you, Steve. I appreciate it. It's been good to talk to you. I'm sure you'll remember your uh, time with Elvis for, forever. You know, I'm sure. I mean, I was never, ever lucky enough to meet him. But I'm sure if I had have met him, I would have. it would have been, you know, one of the, the biggest things in my life ever. Oh, yeah. It's one of those, um, those somebody, Ronnie McDowell, um, a couple nights ago said Elvis very few people had that it factor mm. Elvis Frank Sinatra James Dean I mean John Wayne or there's just a handful of people that have that that wow factor that they just span the time 
you know, and they have that effect on people. And if you get a chance to meet them, it's just like um, they have something very special about them that makes you remember. And he he had it all really, though, didn't he? I mean, he, he had the voice, he had the looks, he had the personality. Uh, <laughs> it was, there was there you was know, there was not much he was doing wrong. That's for sure. Yeah, his only, um, not a fault, but, you know, sometimes we have people in our life that are not the best for us after a while. Hmm. I think sometimes that would happen. Yeah. You know, not not being fully in charge of everything you want to do, maybe letting people sway you to do things that you don't think are necessarily. But he was pretty strong in his resolve. He would say, I don't want to do that anymore. Hmm. You know, like he didn't really want to do movies anymore. He wanted to do live um, concerts. That's yes. what he loved. Just thrived off. I, you know, he could he could not be feeling well, be down in the dumps or getting a cold or whatever. But when it, when those lights hit, when he got ready and he got on that stage, he made every effort for you not to know that there was anything that happened prior to that that would be cause him to be disheartened or sad or anything. Yeah, well, I mean, 100%. I mean, there was only a handful of times when he didn't make the concert and he had to cancel, and it's because he just didn't like to let his fans down. Right. Times that he probably shouldn't have mm. been on stage, but yeah, I agree. he loved to perform, and he loved the feedback. And he had, you know, that, that sense, sixth sense of what works what worked for him in his soul and his spirit he had you know it came from inside it wasn't just outside something you love to and you learn to do it was something that he just absolutely was a part of him and came from within yeah and he put everything into it yeah, he was a very special human being, and and he was he had such a presence, especially when he was on stage. He looked so at home when he was on stage. That was the thing you could tell he was enjoying it. Oh yeah, you there, there were no insecurities, no inhibitions. He just loved every second, and his timing was so good. Okay, so one more time, uh, if if people do want to. Uh, uh, get your book, uh, Hollywood Lights, Nashville Nights. Um, the name of the uh, Facebook uh, page again is? Diana Goodman dash Hollywood Lights, Nashville Nights. As simple as that. And, <laughs> yep, you can send me a private message through there and I will um, personally sign your book and mail it off to you. Diana, it really has been a pleasure. Thank you very, very much for, for spending this time with me. Um, it's been great, uh, and I'm very grateful for it. And I'm sure uh, all our listeners are going to get a big kick when they hear this interview. Well, thank you. I hope so. Let me know. Yes, I will. Okay. I'll, I'll, oh, yes, I'll be in touch. I'll send you the link. And uh, okay. uh, please, please stay safe. All right. Thank you, Steve. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Once again, a huge thanks to Diana for sharing her memories of Elvis with us. Also, a very special thanks to Lisa Lauren for putting me in touch with Diana. Lisa was a great help arranging this interview for me. You can contact the show at ElvisTheUltimateFanChannel at gmail.com. 
Thanks for listening, and I hope you can join me next time for another episode from Elvis the Ultimate Fan Channel. Until next time, take care and stay safe. Yeah.